Would you turn in your Bible, please, the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 25. The book of Leviticus chapter 25. Now, I want you to mark a date on your calendar. I want you to mark November the 3rd, 2019. That's when our official 50th anniversary, and you've got to be here. Don't tell me, oh, we planned a trip to the mountains. You haven't planned it yet. So don't plan it on top of that. If you're saved, you need to be here. We're going to revoke the salvation of members who don't come on that day. So you mark it down, November the 3rd, 2019. Leviticus 25 in your Bible. Would you stand with me, please, as we read God's Word together? Leviticus chapter 25, and we read beginning in verse 8. And thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee. Seven times seven years. That'd be 49. And the space of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee 49 years. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month in the day of atonement you shall make the trumpet sound throughout all the land. And you shall hallow the 50th year, set it apart, hallow, and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you, and you shall return every man unto his possession, and you shall return unto every man, every man unto his family." A jubilee shall that 50th year be unto you. You shall not sow, neither reap that which groweth of itself in it, nor gather the grapes in it of thy vine undressed. For it is the jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat the increase thereof out of the field. And thank you. You may be seated. The word jubilee in your Bible here in the Hebrew meant a ram's horn, the ram's horn. It referred to the long horn that was taken from a very mature ram. It was called a shofar, S-H-O-F-A-R. And the shofar, they would blow it, and it would be the sound that would gather the nation together for special feasts, celebrations, worship occasions, and so on. And so on the 10th day of the seventh month, in the 50th year, they would blow the shofar, and the people would hear that sound, and they would know it was time to gather together to begin celebrating the year of Jubilee. Notice that they blew it on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was the day that the priest would take two goats, and he would bring those little goats before him, and he would pray and lay his hands upon the heads of those goats. He would confess the sins of the nation. It would be a long prayer in which he would go into detail about how the nation had sinned. And symbolically, he would lay his hands upon the the heads of those little goats, one on the one side and one on the other. Symbolically, he was transferring to those goats the sins of the people. Then he would take one goat 
and he would kill it. He would shed its blood, and the blood would be for the remission of the sins of the people. Then some other men would take the other goat, and they would go far into the wilderness. They would take a trip of many days, 50 or 100 miles out into a desert that was nearby, and they would leave that goat there, symbolizing the fact that the goat bore the sins of the people and he had gone so far away that the sins would never be remembered again. They took him so far, he would never find his way home. And the day or the year of Jubilee then would begin. Now, let's talk about the Jubilee for a few moments. In the calendar of Israel, they used a different calendar than we. Every Sabbath year, Every seven years, they would declare that seventh year a Sabbath year. The reason they did went back to creation. They never wanted to forget who the creator was. They wanted that to be stamped indelibly in the consciousness of all the people of the nation. And so the seventh year represented the seventh day of creation, meaning on that day, God rested. He rested an entire day from his creation work. Six days, he created the heavens and the earth, the universe, and the seventh day, he rested. So, they were commemorating this, six years of labor and work, and then on the seventh year, the Sabbath rest. The word Sabbath, by the way, simply means rest. That's all it means. And then after seven of these cycles, six years of work, one year of rest, after the seventh cycle, which would be an accumulation of 49 years, of course, they would observe on the 50th year, the Jubilee year, as we have now arrived as a church family. The Jubilee was highly anticipated by the people. It was a wonderful time of rejoicing, of renewed hope. Of, it was a very positive thing. It was a great, great celebration. They did several things to celebrate. First of all, the land that had been bought or sold or mortgaged or rented out to someone during that time would go back to the original tribes and the original families. If you remember reading in the book of Joshua, chapter 13, the land was apportioned after they entered into the land under Joshua. God assigned certain portions of land, certain areas or regions of land to each of the 12 tribes. So the tribe over here would be assigned this land. It was theirs in perpetuity. It was theirs forever. The land could never be permanently sold to another tribe. In fact, then it was subdivided from the tribe into families. And this family was, uh, the, the, the land belonged to them. Now, they could mortgage it. They could rent it. They could lease it to someone who could use it. But the, at the end of the 50th year, or at the beginning of the 50th year, it went back to the original tribe and the original families. If you look down in verse 23, you will see the reason for that. God said, the land belongs to me, and everything that he is produced on it, it belongs to God. That land never really fully 
permanently belongs to a human being. The land belonged to God. And every 50 years, there was this reset, and the land went back to the original tribes. So, among other things, that meant when you, did, when you negotiated a sale or rental of a piece of property, you looked to the jubilee year. And if the jubilee year were just three or four years off, then that would affect the price. If the jubilee, if you leased or rented that piece of land in the year after the jubilee, it'd be 49 more years. And so the price would go up on the piece of property. It was, everything was based around this idea of jubilee. And of course, the Lord reminds us that he owns the land, which means he owns everything, that we are simply his stewards. They lived with that very much in their mind, that we are pilgrims, we're passing through, and that nobody really permanently owns anything upon this earth, not even the land, which is the only ultimately uh, permanent thing. The second thing that happened on the Jubilee year is that debts were forgiven. If you owed somebody a debt, the debt was wiped off. It was cleared away. And the basis of this was that God has forgiven us our debts. He has forgiven us what we owe him. So therefore, the debts were forgiven. And the debts too. If you were to loan someone money, of course, you would base how much you charge them for that money or the, 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 based upon how close you were to the Jubilee year again. So the Jubilee affected debt, loans, prices were all based upon the nearness or the number of years until Jubilee. Number three, according to verses 39 through 41, all slaves or servants were freed. Now, don't think of this like American slavery of 150 years ago. The slaves of that time were people who you got into debt on your credit card you had to go to work for whoever it is you owed, and you were, had to work out that debt. Might be a good idea today. It might slow down some of the waste that we have in our culture. I don't know, but don't shoot me for that. But at, at any rate, uh, they, they, if you got into trouble and you couldn't pay your debts, you had to go and become an indentured servant. You had to work that off. And the fourth thing is the land was rested. Nobody planted a crop. Nobody labored to create wealth during that time. It was a rest. Now, when you read that, you think, well, what did they eat in that year? Well, again, Israel was a, supernatural, uh, a supernaturally controlled and driven culture. And if you look down in verses 21 and 22 there of Leviticus 25, you will see that God said, I'm going to give you an abundant harvest in the year before, the 48th year. I will give you an abundant, or the 49th year. I'm going to give you an abundant harvest. I'm going to give you enough that if you will be a good steward, it will take you through the 50th year. I'm going to give you two years of crops in one year, and I want you to learn how to apportion that food out, but there will be plenty for you, which of course required a lot of faith, didn't it? Because think about this. You have a big garden, you have a farm to feed your family, and now the Jubilee year is coming up, and God says, you're not to plant anything. I'm going to take care of you. 
You just trust me. I'm going to provide for you and your family. And you say, well, I, I want to trust the Lord, but I, I'll tell you what, you're really stepping out on the edge of the thin ice here, am I not? I hope he's going to come through because I'm not planting my crop. And it was a way to teach the people faith. This is not a stewardship message, but that's what stewardship is really about. Can I trust God to provide for me when I pay him my tithe and my offering? Or am I going to hedge and I'm going to make sure I provide for myself? It was a test of faith. It was a test of stewardship. So these four things constituted Jubilee year. The land that had been bought or exchanged or leased went back to the original tribe and family. The debts were all wiped out and forgiven. Don't loan anybody something if they can't pay because Jubilee's coming up and that debt is going to be wiped away. Number three, all the slaves were freed because God did not want anybody in bondage during that time and the land was rested. You learned to trust the Lord even for your food. So it was really a grand reboot. It was like shutting down your computer and letting it reset. And it was a one-year reset for the people of God. It was a time of forgiveness. Not only debts were forgiven, but all types of grudges and Resentments were also to be forgiven. It was a time of not only forgiveness, but of trust, demonstrating your trust in the Lord by not planting your field. It was a time of renewed hope when God, we, we, we went back to what we really are, what our mission, our identity is. This is who we are. We are the people of God. We are a unique people. We are a blood-washed nation. The Day of Atonement, the blood was shed, and we are unique. We're not like the pagan peoples who don't believe. We are a unique and a distinct race of people. We are the people, the family of Almighty God. And some of the difficulties of the human experience indebtedness and bondage and things like that were made right during that time. Look in your Bible, if you will, please, to verse 10 of chapter 25, and you will see a phrase there that you're familiar with. Proclaim liberty throughout the land. Proclaim liberty throughout the entire land. Now, if you go to Philadelphia and look at the Liberty Bell, and as many of you, I'm sure, have, you will see there, engraved upon that bell, those very words from Leviticus 25, proclaim liberty throughout the land. Our founding fathers, when they created that bell to sound out the beginning of America, they went to this passage and proclaim liberty through the ringing of that bell. In Israel, it was through the blowing of the shofar. And today, there are certainly applications for us. I sat down as I studied this passage here, and I began to think about what I could say to you as we begin our 50th year this morning. 
And I, I tend to think always almost in terms of goals, maybe more than I should. But I set three goals that I want to lead our church to do during the Jubilee year. Number one, I want us to learn to give God the glory for everything. Sincerely, genuinely, not just words from our lips, but from our heart, we give God the glory for everything accomplished in this 50 years. I'll be talking to you a lot about that. W.A. Criswell said this. Dr. Criswell said, the Jubilee year was a year of trust in and commitment to God. No other work was allowed. No other assignment was kept than to glorify God. The entire year was given in praise and gratitude to Almighty God. So a goal for us this year at Florence Baptist Temple, let's unite our hearts today and say, this is a year we are going to spend time and effort. We're going to program the idea of giving God the glory in his work here. The number, number two goal, I want to encourage our people. We live in a discouraging time. Everything you read about Christianity is negative. Everything in our culture opposes our simple, old-fashioned, biblical faith. And I want to do everything I can to encourage you every time that I have an opportunity. The Jubilee year reminds us that God is still alive. That God is not dead. His power is not limited. God can still work in the lives of people. And God can do great and wondrous things. That's our second goal. And the third goal is I don't want us to just always look backward. But I want us to look forward and use this year to set our church on a course for an even better future than it's had in the first 50 years. That the, the church doesn't end at the year at the end of the 50th year. And someday we will observe our double jubilee, our 100th anniversary. And I want to set the sail, set the direction. I want to set a course where we will have a wonderful future planned that with the help and power of God, this church can go on and do things we can't even dream about today. I sat here and I thought, you probably couldn't do this, but I could because I was there. And I watched my wife give her testimonies. And I looked at the back of these old chairs. And I looked at those slides on the screen. And I, I remembered how bad that building was. I can't tell you. Elmer Towns came and wrote a book about this church. And, and it was named among the fastest growing churches in America in a book that he wrote. And Dr. Towns said in the article about this church, there has never, I have never seen a place where a church started that was as bad as the place the Florence Baptist Temple started in. One day, I was just trying to show somebody how bad it was. I just took my fist and hit the wall, and it went right through it. I mean, I just popped a hole in the wall, and I didn't even try real hard. I mean, the walls in that place were rotten. The, the county should have never let us move in, though I'm glad they did, but as soon as we moved out, they condemned the building and they, and they bulldozed it down. So that tells you what kind of place it was. And what Norma described, what you saw a little bit, was, was absolutely true. Well, I sat here and I remember all that. I lived all that, experienced all that. 
And I couldn't keep the tears out of my eyes. And I look around here and I see all this. And I heard that orchestra play behind me. And I thought, boy, there wasn't, there wasn't no orchestra that day. <laughs> and I thought about how clean and nice and, and 52 acres of stuff here that God has given us, not a penny of debt. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. So we want to set the course. Now, you notice we decorated the building a little bit. Boy, what a good job they did on it. Thank all of them. And there's three words you're going to hear a lot this year. Remember, rejoice, and renew. Our theme this year, as you can see up here, is 50 years of sowing the gospel seed. 50 years of sowing the gospel seed. And as we celebrate that and think about that, those three words that you have on each wall, remember, rejoice, and renew. Turn in your Bible for just a moment to Isaiah chapter 51. Isaiah chapter 51. And I have you turn there. I could quote it, but you might want to mark this verse because it can apply in many different areas of, of, of life. Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 1. It says, Hearken to me, you that follow after righteousness, you that seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you are hewn and to the hole of the pit from whence you are digged. God said, Israel, I want you to look back. I want you to remember where you came from. Don't you hate to be around people who forgot where they came from? Don't you hate to be around people who think that everything that they're good in life was because of them? Yeah, you don't, you don't even enjoy being with a person like that. God said to the nation of Israel, go back to the quarry where you, the rock, were, was dug. And go back there and remember your humble beginnings. Go to the hole of the pit where you were dug. And uh, you're just plain old common earth. Were it not for my hand upon you, you wouldn't be much. But go back and remember that hole that you were dug from. Norma talked to you about the hole in the pit that you were dug, we were dug from as a church. I'm glad this church had humble beginnings. I didn't then. 50 years ago, I wasn't thankful for that, but I am today. I look at that because you know what? If I'd have come here with all kinds of people financing me and all kinds of financial support, and we'd have had a nice building that we could afford to rent, then we would have been able, we'd be standing here taking credit for it today. I think you can look at those pictures and say, if the Lord hadn't have been in that, they wouldn't have made it. They wouldn't have made it. To God be the glory. Remember. And so there's our number one goal. So this year, we're really going to focus on praising the Lord a lot. Thanksgiving. Gratitude to God. We're going to schedule some special times where we're going to gather and pray. And we're not going to pray for sick people and the country. We're going to praise the Lord and thank him for what he's done here. Period. That's all. We, that's the only purpose in getting together. Psalm chapter 22, verse 3. 
There's a phrase there, and you hear preachers say it sometimes, God inhabits the praises of his people. That verse says he inhabits the praises of Israel, so that was his people. Meaning that when we really praise the Lord, the presence of God comes. Mark that verse, Psalm 22 and 3. God comes when people praise his name. That's really an important point. Many of you have never heard of a man named Roger Bennett. Roger Bennett was a piano player, one of the best I've ever heard. He was a songwriter. He played the piano for the well-known Cathedral Quartet. If you're a gospel singing fan, you know all that, but most of our people here are not so much. But I, I heard him play. He's one of the greatest pianists I've ever heard. As a young man, he contracted leukemia, and he fought the battle against leukemia for 11 years until he died in 2007. He wrote about his illness, and it was such a powerful, touching testimony. He was taken to the MD Anderson Cancer Hospital in Houston, Texas, number one hospital for cancer treatment. And he was given a bone marrow transplant. Rogers said he was in this isolation room where nobody could come in at all. Family couldn't visit him, nothing. In this little room by himself, isolated for however many days. Some of you are familiar with that procedure. And he said, he talked about his spiritual battle in an article called Midnight Meditations. He said, and I'm quoting him now, I am convinced that our enemy stalks us exactly in the way the Bible describes him as a roaring lion. He hides in the bushes waiting for any sign of weakness, and then he strikes Bennett admitted that his faith became weak in the loneliness of that isolation unit. He mentioned one particular night, and he said, I bottomed out. He didn't strike me physically. That had been accomplished for me by the chemo. He struck a more critical part of my being. He struck my joy, my confidence, my hope. Every thought I turned toward heaven, bounced back to me as if it were made of brass. Every time I tried to look on the bright side, I ended up imagining a very dark future. Then he threw his most effective dart at me, doubt. He said, Roger, you call yourself a Christian. What a hypocrite. You wrote in your song, don't be afraid, and yet you're more afraid now than you've ever been. You wrote about joy, and now you're filled with despair. So much for your faith, Mr. Gospel Singer. Indeed, Bennett had hit bottom. He said again, and I quote him, I believed everything Satan said that night. I tried everything I knew to pull out of it, all to no avail. I thought if I could just doze off, this will pass by the morning. But the clock seemed to move in slow motion. Sleep was nowhere near. I tried to lose myself in my Bible, but the words blurred in my eyes. I couldn't make any sense of it. And then he said, I had an epiphany, a revelation of sorts. 
He said, I thought about the story of Paul and Silas in jail in Acts chapter 16, and they began to sing praises to God while they were beaten and in the stocks. He said, they didn't despair. They sang. In fact, singing to God became their weapon. And one after another, he said, I began to sing those old songs I'd learned from my childhood. And he said, it wasn't much of a performance. I sung them to an empty room, but it was the most powerful blessing I've ever had in my life. My hope returned. My faith became small. Because God comes when his people praise him. I look at people and they're so down in the mouth, so negative, so full of the molly grubs. You know what you can do to push that spirit away? You can begin to live with a spirit of joy. You can remember the rock from which you were hewn and the pit from which you were digged. Remember the great things that God has done for you. The second word is rejoice. I don't pray for the same things every day, but there's a few things I pray for daily. I pray every day for wisdom. God knows I need it. And I pray every day for joy. Because it's my opinion, the outside world here doesn't give a flip about the Christian faith because we walk around like we're miserable. May I be a little pointed. When we don't have any victory more than the worldling has, why would anybody want what we have? We are terrible advertisements for the Christian faith. Our sourness screams to people. What advantage is there to being a Christian? Americans don't have much joy. Most affluent people on the planet. We've got all the bells and whistles. We've got all the toys. We don't have the joy of the Lord. Nehemiah said the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's what makes us strong. It helps us to weather the storms of life. And there's such a sad lack of old-fashioned Christian joy in our ranks today. Oh, we go for this happy, clappy, sweet, saccharine, fake happiness that people have. I get so weary, I go to a church somewhere, and the music director gets up, everybody happy? Well, no, I'm not happy. I got a headache. Let's all get together and put our hands together. I don't want to put my hands together. I just came to hear from God today. And we fake it. And it's so superficial. And the world laughs at us. I want that joy that Roger Bennett found in that isolation room one day. When no matter if the whole world's caving in and you have terminal cancer that down deep in your soul, there's something that's real. So this year, we're going to try to encourage you. We got a lot of testimonies lined up. Norma was the first. 
of how the impact of this church has brought joy and victory in people's lives. And the third word's renew. Renew. The time to remember who we are. We're God's people. We're Bible-centered people. We're Baptist people, and we don't apologize for that in an ecumenical age. We are evangelistic people. We're soul-winning people. We believe that Christians ought to live godly and righteously in this world and in the world to come as well. Why are we here? We're here on a mission. We're here because God put us here at this time and this place. God has a plan for everybody in this room, everybody listening to me on television or the internet or wherever you are. God has a plan. And so if we can remember those things, we can set the course for an even greater future. Go back to Leviticus chapter 25. And if you will note there in verse 8, no, in verse 9, cause the trumpet to sound on the 10th day of the seventh month. The seventh month for them was October. So on the 10th of October every year, blow that shofar. Gather all the nation together, all the people, the men, the women, the little boys and the little girls, the old people, everybody, gather them all together and begin observing the day of Jubilee. But before you celebrate, before the celebration starts, we observe the day of atonement. We kill that little lamb, that goat. We lead the other one out to the wilderness. You know why? Because before you can celebrate, you have to have your sins forgiven. The blood has to be shed. You need redemption before you celebrate. You don't have much to celebrate until the blood has come and cleansed you of your sins. Hebrews chapter 9 says what? Without the shedding of blood is no remission of sin. The gospel, the cross, the blood of Jesus Christ shed for the sins of all of humanity. There's no redemption without that blood. There's no salvation without that blood. Come to church every day of your life. Live in the church. Do good deeds. There's no salvation without the blood of Jesus Christ to wash away my sin in the sight of God. And so we began the Jubilee year, but we began at the cross. And am I talking to someone here this morning and you've never been to the cross? You're not sure about your salvation. My wife told you she grew up in a good, solid, fundamental church, First Baptist Church of Fort Worth. You can see it, most beautiful church building I think I've ever been in. Norma grew up there. Her great preachers, many of them have come here in the past, Dr. Lake and Homer Ritchie, people like that. She grew up under the soundest teaching and preaching you can have. And she was lost. One day she walked into the church where we were in Indianapolis and the pastor preached on the plan of salvation. 
and I'm the music director leading the choir. And I turn around and look, and there's my wife. Tears running down her face. I walk up. I said, what are you doing down here, honey? She said, I'm getting saved. <laughs> and we were getting ready to leave. It was just a few weeks before we left. So she came to Florence, and after she was pregnant, and after we had a baptistry, I baptized her. Only preacher's wife in history that had to get baptized to join the church she had helped start. But thank God, she realized salvation is not in growing up at the Florence Baptist Temple. Salvation is coming to the cross and trusting in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bow your head and stand with me, if you will, please.